Hey everybody, welcome to the Evoke Bike Podcast. I am Tom, a coach here at Evoke. Today we have a super exciting guest, a cross-country mountain biker named Devin Feehan. He had an incredible season this year, winning 20 of his 21 races. He is a national champion for Cat 1 19-29 cross-country mountain bike and short track. We're super excited to have him on. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Hey, Devin, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Congratulations on the awesome season you had this year. Yeah, super excited to chat with you. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've actually mentioned that I've listened to the podcast on a few of my rides. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to you know help get a little bit of my story out. So. So for those who don't know you, you used to do ATV racing. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Yeah, it's something I did, you know, I started riding ATVs at 10 years old. Like, um, you know, I kind of grew up uh, out in the woods and we had property to ride on. And um, yeah, I kind of caught that bug, um, you know, watching the GNCC races. It's like a two hour cross country ATV racing. Um, and yeah, from 10 years old, like that was my thing. Uh, I, I definitely like saw that as my guiding light towards what I wanted to do and try to just seek out the, the highest level of that sport. Um, it, it definitely drove me to double down and, and focus on working hard on something I wanted to be good at. Um, I learned a lot of lessons just, you know, starting from where I did, like no idea how to do anything mechanically or, or anything like that physically, like training. Um, you know, I, I I went from basically ground zero to the top of that sport in what would it be uh, like a little over 10 years or, or nine years, basically. So like, um, you know, started racing regionally, eventually nationally, uh, top amateur champion in 2016 and then uh, pro-am national champion in 2017. Uh, and then, you know, pretty much raced in the pro field uh, right out of high school and, uh, you know, was able to achieve some pro podium finishes there, which was some of my highest goals in that sport. So, um, yeah, that was a big part of my life for, for those years, for sure. That's awesome. What kind of like lessons do you feel like you learned from, from that experience coming over to cross country mountain biking? Yeah, definitely. Like the most obvious is the technical skills. Like, uh, you know, ATVs were going average speeds, 20 miles an hour, maxing at 60. So yeah, just the speeds we're going is pretty insane at times. And, um, yeah, you're just navigating the terrain with a really heavy machine as well. There's that. And then I would also say like, um, just the mental side of what it takes to perform against other professional riders who are giving it everything they have. Um, you know, it's like you have to make that jump, uh, mentally and just physically of what it's going to take, like from an amateur level, stepping in, you know, against men, you know, that are out there, uh, making a living at this. So I, I think the mental just tenacity and, uh, the ability to push yourself for that two straight hours is a big one as well. That's crazy. Do you feel mm-hmm. like one thing that jumped out of me there was like, do you feel like the processing speed of mountain biking actually feels more manageable because of how fast you had to process on the ATV or is there anything like that that happened? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, just there, there's some times where the speeds are so high um, that on the bike, it doesn't, you don't necessarily feel that like, well, I'm going fast. Um, which of course, like it's all kind of relative to what the terrain is and everything. But I would say like, um, transferring over to the bike, like the ATVs, you're just so aggressive going through terrain that on the mountain bike, like, you know, seeing a rock garden or anything, you're not overwhelmed. Like you're just used to going through that stuff as hard as you can. Yeah. Cycling is really about like the fitness component and being able to have a motor and an aerobic engine, um, being able to put out power through that stuff. So like that's, that's what I've had to focus on the most making the switch is 
um, you can't rely on uh, skill only on the mountain bike for sure. It's, it's, you know, the sport of cycling is largely about uh, the fitness component as well. For sure. I remember you telling me a while ago about ATV training and that you do like mm -hmm. actual interval sessions. Can you tell us about that mm -hmm. a bit? Yeah, it wasn't quite like intervals on the bike. Like there was no, I mean, I guess there could be kind of shorter duration intervals, but um, you know, sometimes you do like a 20 minute moto. It's pretty common. Um, or maybe like 15 minutes down to five minutes, um, kind of more sprint type stuff. Um, you know, our races were two hours, uh, but it was pretty rare that we ever actually went out and, uh, would train for two straight hours. Um, and one of the main things was that the equipment just couldn't last. So, um, it was always like an hour and a half or less to go train. Um, a lot of just threshold stuff. And, and that's actually like learning, uh, how to train for cycling, uh, really is how I started to try to figure out how to train for ATV racing. Um, there's no like ATV racing handbook of how to train. So I really found like the cycling stuff, um, like there's a ton of books and resources out there on how endurance athletes train in this sport. So um, I used a lot of those principles to apply that to the quad. You know, we don't have like a pace metric per se or a power number that we can look at on the ATV. So I, I used heart rate training and, uh, you know, distributed like heart rate zones and all that stuff. Um, you know, would pay attention to that during the race, make sure I was like maintaining a good threshold. A lot of it does carry over. And that was, that was really cool. So what, what kind of heart rate were you for, for races? I'm super curious there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like at the most I've seen myself average like 186 for a little over two hours on the quad. Um, and that's, that's just like right from the start. I mean, if you're, it's kind of like that thing where if you're not there in the first lap, uh, your, your day is really, really hard to be at the front. That's so cool. Wow. Like you wouldn't really expect that, um, not knowing the sport and that, yeah, that shows how intense it really is. That's, that's crazy. So yeah, you had an incredible season this year with a lot of great accomplishments. Do you have any like personal like highlights uh, of the year? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely the, the cat one national championship. Uh, actually I got two of them in July, the XCO and short track. That was one of my main goals for this year, just making the jump or making the switch from the ATV world to the bike. Um, and that transition was like definitely something on my mind for quite a number of years. Like, um, once I got to, uh, once I had my first pro podium finish in the ATVs, like I kind of struggled to see a longer term vision with myself in that sport. And, uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't really see how that was going to work. So I'd always been riding the bike and I was like still using training peaks and figure out all this stuff, how to train for a bike. Yeah. After that, I really had this kind of bug to like, maybe I, maybe I should make this switch, um, which I kind of had to like, you know, take that jump and take that risk of, of leaving something that I had put so much into. Um, and it definitely wasn't an easy or quick decision, uh, to make that transition. But yeah, I mean, this year being my first full-time season as a cyclist, like I really saw, okay, you know, nationals is coming up. It's, you know, in Pennsylvania, relatively local. And, um, yeah, I was, I was performing really good in training. Um, and that was kind of like my guiding light of, okay, you know, what should I do in July? Um, you know, race straight into the pro field or, uh, race cat one and try to get a national championship. So I, I definitely saw the importance of trying to get a national championship just to have that kind of under my belt as a cyclist. And, um, that's ultimately what led to that decision to race that. That's so awesome. So do you have any big challenges this year? Like any difficulties that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah. I mean, I would say early on, uh, I definitely kind of got myself into a rut, a uh, pretty big training 
kind of overtraining hole, I would say, um, and really had to learn what that's really like. Um, you know, I'd always heard about overtraining and everything, but yeah, I mean, also like there's the combination of, uh, you know, the relative energy deficiency concept. I'm uh, some may be familiar with, some maybe not, but it's basically just not meeting energy needs for the amount of training and output that you're doing. Um, and I would say like overtraining, um, I, I know that like the body is pretty physically capable of handling stress, um, but it's more of like that under recovery notion or uh, just, you know, excessive like stress response from high intensity training. So if like your intensity distribution is not appropriate or you're doing too much intensity too often, um, if you combine that with like a lack of energy availability, it's a recipe for that kind of overtraining. Yeah, I definitely hit that wall, I would say in, you know, February, March, just uh, too much intensity in the off season and just not enough rest. Like my intensity distribution was not appropriate. Looking back, I can really see that. And yeah, I mean, it led to like, you know, definitely issues like mentally and uh, just not motivated, not physically able to really execute training. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not a good place to be like right before the season starts, which, um, you know, I'd kind of, I had, I had known that's, that's a common mistake, like people going too hard in the off season, um, and then coming out in March, like completely cooked. Um, so I'm kind of like, you know, I've read about this stuff. I know this stuff. Why, why am I in this position? But that's just the difference between experience and, and, and the knowledge of it too. So you mentioned like the mental, a mental shift. Was there any other like major signs that athletes should look out for for overtraining yeah i mean i would say i've kept a better tab on it now like you know i think it's something you have to manage throughout your training and i can look back at my atv racing career and it's like my whole career was littered with this like uh just pushing too hard and not allowing yourself to like really recover and absorb the work that you're doing like you think you're doing something by working harder and you're just at times if you are working that hard you're making things worse um and i always find like the the most common sign is like lack of motivation that's like the first one to pop up like if you're like oh, i don't really want to to ride or want to train today to me that's like as someone who's highly motivated to train that just doesn't make sense um but people kind of internalize that as like oh maybe i'm maybe i'm uh, you know too weak to train today like mentally so they double down and do it anyway and push hard and that just makes matters worse um, but I think that's that's probably the first one to come up. For sure. What was your your strategy to get out of that situation? What what, what how'd you play uh, play that out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I I started working uh, with a new coach in March, and uh, Neil he really helped me get get back on a on an appropriate track. Um, you know, you know, lay lay out a plan uh, that that really makes sense in terms of intensity distribution. So it was really about like um, you just removing all intensity from from the program and focusing on base work. So just ton of aerobic uh, work, which I had never really done. Uh, that's the same thing with like um, that's one thing I saw in the ATV racing was like it just wasn't a ton of aerobic work. Um, you would never go out on an endurance ride per se. That was always done on a bicycle. So you know like we would do our aerobic work off the machine and then do the high intensity stuff on the machine that's more of like that quality work more race specific stuff um but yeah i pretty much had to like stay pretty low keep it easy um and i was actually racing right through base like i wasn't doing any intervals uh, but i still wanted to have a good season and not not throw away you know opportunities to race and um i had never done that either like i would do weeks of base and 
no intervals show up on 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 the weekend and race anyway so that was kind of my high intensity training for that period um so that was a big one it was a really big learning uh big learning curve but it showed that uh that that base work is so important um and, and when you read into that it's it's obvious that that's that's the main thing for cycling for sure yeah thank you for sharing so looking for next season how are you planning your season as a whole and like what are you looking at for your your base and winter season yeah definitely right now um I'm actually in a two week break, so I haven't ridden, I haven't, I'm not going to be riding the bike for the last two weeks. Um, I don't know if I've ever appropriately taken that, that amount of time off. So, um, I don't mind it. And I know that like when I come back, you know, it's going to be full swing, swing again. So, uh, definitely focus on base work leading into the spring. Um, I'm actually not doing cyclocross this, uh, this winter. I did a little bit last year really just to to get myself on the bike more get get it get to some bike races with the transition from atvs um which i think was a good thing i learned a lot from that sport and you know but but mountain bike is really my primary focus and that's what i'm best at so um plus i enjoy it i enjoy the heck out of it so um it all works out and um yeah like 2023 was really about uh racing at the regional level uh, i raced a ton of regional uh, events and then I did nationals uh, for Cat One, um, and then and then did one pro race uh, in the fall at Marathon Nationals. So, largely 2023 was about racing at the regional level, um, and I did did really well with that. Definitely had some some decent competition here and there, um, but I think for 2024 I'm going to shift my focus to the national level. So I really need to uh, step into that ring some more. That's awesome. So looking more into training and talking about some of those subjects, what sort of interval sessions do you feel like prepare you for the, the demands of cross-country racing? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the big one is, is really the aerobic work. I've, I've seen huge benefits from that, like just zone two and below, like, you know, pretty easy pace and long rides too. It's something I've never dedicated myself to. Uh, putting in the volume, like the appropriate volume, um, you know, somewhere over 14 hours a week on average. Usually beforehand, I would be around that kind of 14 and below, you know, 11, 12 hours a week, which usually you're going to be doing a little bit more high intensity with that. But um, I really upped the volume of the easy rides um, and that, you know, that really just supports that high end work. Um, So I would say that's like the biggest. Um, And then yeah, for high intensity, like VO2, for sure, for mountain bike stuff, it's, uh, you're going, since it's an hour and a half, like, there's not much of a pacing strategy, like an endurance race, um, you don't really risk, like, glycogen depletion as much, so you're really just pinning it, uh, for the whole race, um, and it is just, like, these punchy, you know, one minute to maybe four minute climbs, especially in this area, uh, the climbs just aren't all that long, so you're basically, like, absolutely pinned, at VO2 or you're kind of recovering going downhill. Um, so yeah, VO2 anywhere from like two to four minutes, uh, interval sessions. Um, that's kind of like the high intensity work and then mix in like the threshold stuff for sure. That's great. Yeah. I feel like for, um, like pure mountain bikers, it's very common to like miss that aerobic side of things, especially if you're like not even riding on the road or like anything smooth and you could just Mm -hmm. be going out hammering all the time. So I think that's a great piece of advice for pure mountain bikers to take the aerobic side of training seriously and put some focus in there 
for for overall performance gains for sure yeah absolutely and and it makes sense most people make that mistake of like well i want to be faster and xc mountain biking is very intense so i have to practice that intensity and i got to go out and be better at that suffer you know suffering at that intensity but honestly like you're just breaking yourself down more than anything and it's like it's really that um aerobic work that is supporting those in high intensity efforts like you know kind of the acidity and the lactate that accumulates uh gets cleared by that aerobic system so like the bigger your aerobic system the more you're going to be able to clear out that the lactate that's accumulating um and just kind of be able to tolerate high intensity efforts easier for sure so for like a build up to like so before race season how many intensity sessions are you aiming for a, a week there anywhere from like um two to three sessions a week like i don't think there's a need to go more than three hard sessions a week um almost at any time so yeah basically like one to three hard days a week and then the rest is either a recovery ride or a zone two just endurance ride for sure and how about for like a race week so you have a race on the weekend what does the other intensity days look like for for that week yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the cycle. Like, um, if it's just a normal cycle in a training race, um, there's no huge priority on the race. It might just be the same training. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the two days before that race, you're just doing an easy ride. Um, so, yeah, honestly, that's that's about it. You're still doing two hard days a week and uh, nothing special there. Sweet. How much time do you spend, like, doing, like, steady rides versus rides on the trail? Like, how do you balance those two types of rides? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's something uh, my coach has helped me with this year and really pushed me to be, to spend more time actually in the woods and on the trail. So as a mountain biker, like that's my focus. Um, it makes sense to not just, you know, bomb road miles 24 uh, seven. So uh, yeah, I mean, obviously like the road is where I do all my intervals. That's, you're gonna get the most quality work by doing it that way. Just, uh, yeah, uh, it's way easier to do intervals on the road than it is in the trail for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, you mentioned it earlier, like as a mountain biker doing aerobic work, um, that's, you know, the easy rides are the days that I'm going to be able to go out on the trail and actually, you know, spend two to four or more hours in the trail. Um, but the tricky part about that is, is you want to stay completely aerobic and avoid like doing any surges or like even like the short punchy little climbs, like you really have to back it down and, uh, go really, really easy to stay within like, you know, I train with a power meter, so I'm able to like, you know, hold myself accountable to not tapping into those more glycolytic uh, states where you're you're pushing above that aerobic kind of zone. So, um, yeah, I spend about I would say 50 50, um, you know, especially because I, in terms of hours, like I spend more hours on the easy rides than I do in intensity rides. So, yeah, I end up spending quite a bit of time in the trail. Um, luckily, I have like a 20 minute drive to my local local spot where I go. Um, and yeah, I just, I just make sure to not, you know, like punch those climbs or anything too. Are you also doing some endurance rides on the road? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that depends like, what, what did I do the day before what's coming up? Like maybe if, um, if I did a really, really hard interval session on Wednesday, um, Thursday, if I'm still feeling pretty wrecked from that, I might do the endurance ride on the road. Um, just because it is a little less um, stressful for the body to, to ride on the road than it is to navigate all the trail and, you know, stand up on climbs um, and all the vibrations and stuff of, of mountain biking. So it depends on like how much recovery I need, how I'm feeling. 
also like schedule do i want to drive the 40 minutes it's going to take out and back and um, also like if it's the day before a race i might opt for the road instead of trail so it's it's kind of like um circumstantial i would say for sure how do you feel as a good way for mountain bikers to build up their skills for for being faster on the trails do you have any recommendations for athletes there I mean, I think the biggest one is just trail time. I've had people people ask me that before. And, you know, it's I, I think when I go out, like my skill that has transferred from the ATV uh, really makes it not my limiter. So I don't ever have to like, oh, man, I really need to focus on this or that. But I do make it a point to like when I go do an easy ride in the trails, I make it a point to try to work on something like think about some sort of cue of like, where are my shoulders? Where are my elbows? You know, where are my feet around a corner? And maybe just make it a point that day, okay, now I'm going to try to focus on like, um, you know, foot position through corners today on my easy ride. Um, and that's a way you can kind of practice your skills without having like a skill specific session. Because um, that like a skill specific session, you're not really getting like a full workout in. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone if you can do it throughout your training and just always have some sort of focus and goal. So I remember you putting out your mountain bike on your trainer. Is that mm -hmm. something that you recommend for athletes? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think being in the same position that you're going to race in just kind of helps build some efficiency. Um, yeah, that's why actually I do all my road biking on my mountain bike. Um, yeah, I did everything this year, like indoor trainer, road biking, trail racing all on the same bike so um, that's really just about position and like getting comfortable there getting really efficient um, and then like also on the trainer uh, crank length like was a little different from my cross bike to mountain bike so that's another just kind of reason beyond just kind of like hand position all that stuff so yeah I mean I don't I think you can get just as good either way um, and yeah I don't know I just think that's it that's how I do it anyway <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people will switch bikes for for like road riding and on the trainer, but but yeah, having the same exact mechanics, I feel like can be effective. And I think some people, when you switch bikes, you kind of notice the different mechanics and how the power feels different. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense to to train with the bike that you're going to be racing with and getting a lot of your interval sessions with that bike. Um, so I think that's a great piece of advice there. What are your plans for this winter? Are you planning to stay in New York where it gets super cold and snowy or are you planning to go somewhere else? And what, yeah, what are your plans there? Yeah, I'm trying to think about, um, a good place to go to starting in January. Like I'll, I'll stay here, uh, till the end of December, um, after holidays and stuff. And, um, yeah, definitely by then it'll be cold and snowy enough to where it's, it's probably going to be unbearable here. So um, definitely looking for a place, uh, that's, that's warm, uh, to train in. I think that's, that's pretty key if you can do that. So let's get into like racing, some racing subjects. What sort of like openers or what are you doing like the day before a important race? Yeah. Like I, that's what I was going to say when I was mentioning two days before a race, like doing easy rides. Um, you know, I, I know some people like to do openers, like mixing, uh, the high intensity stuff and, um, I know sometimes they correlate that to like, um, you know, glycogen synthesis and being able to like maybe store a little more glycogen or something like that, or just promote like uh, glucose uptake with a little high intensity session. But, um, you know, I'm one that I'll, I'll go so hard in the like interval sessions during the week that I'm just like pretty, pretty slammed from those. And I'm like, 
I can bring it out of myself um, to go into the into the high intensity zones. Um, you know, I can do that if I'm feeling good and I can do that if I'm not feeling so good. And I think that's an important skill to have is like when you show up on race day and you feel like, you know, your legs aren't there or you're not feeling your greatest, like you can still bring it out of yourself to to be in that zone. And, and, and sometimes it is a little bit easier than others. Um, but I've kind of learned through the ATV racing um, the consistency factor of like, you have to just embrace that some days are going to be worse than others. Um, and, and yeah, that's something where like, I don't feel the need to do openers the day before a race. Um, I just feel like it's unnecessary hard work. And I, I would benefit more as someone who tends to push too hard to rest a little bit before race day and actually make race day where I leave it all out there. And then, so I, I'm pretty much easy ride day before race. And then, uh, before a race, I do, a warm up with with some sort of efforts. So um, yeah, just get the body warm and then kind of you know, turn on the systems I'm going to be using in the race a little bit, no more than really 30 minutes, um, line up and then ready to race. That's a great example of like how personal like build up to races can be for everyone to like learn their how their body reacts to different stimulus before a race and how you feel on race day and do what's right for you and not what everyone else is doing. I think people can overthink that too. Um, you know, and I think it's like that whole idea of just embracing, like it's going to be tough regardless. Like you just got to go out there and, and give it your best effort. Um, kind of being in that mindset puts those other notions of what you need to do and if it's perfect or not aside. So do you usually pre-ride the course? Do you have any recommendations for, for athletes for, for that part of the process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pre-ride's key. Um, I've actually, I've, this year, all the races I did, I pretty much had the chance on most of them to do a pre-ride. There were a few that I did not, and that's always kind of like, oof, uh, now I have to race against guys who maybe have a pre-ride, or I don't know, you know, you kind of get a little bit anxious about what you're going to find out there, but I find that uh, definitely pre-riding gives you that little, little bit more comfort that you know what's coming. You know, and honestly, what I'm looking for when I pre-ride is more of like the trouble spots. Like I, I knew this from the ATV racing where the courses were 12 miles long. Uh, there was a lot of good lines. Um, you could look and say, oh, that's a good line. That's a good line. That's a good line. Um, but you actually say, oh, this is a this is not a good line. You say that a lot less. So I would, you know, inspect a course and just remember the two spots I should not go versus the hundred spots I should go. Um, so if you pre-ride a course... Um, the natural line will, will come to you intuitively. Um, but if you see something that's like, oh, definitely don't go that way. Just remember that, put it in your pocket and, and have that with you when you race. Don't, don't try to remember every perfect line. Those will come naturally. Just think about there was two spots that I need to remember, uh, that I shouldn't go. <laughs> For sure. I love that. It's super great. Mm -hmm. Cross-country mountain biking can be super, super intense. Do you have any like recommendations for athletes? to prepare mentally for, for that sort of intensity? Yeah, I mean, in training is a great place to practice it. Um, yeah, just embracing like the toughness of an interval or, or any hard workout. Um, and I think like being able to frame it as like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in a lot of discomfort or I'm embracing this pain, like knowing that that's a good thing, that that's natural and everybody does feel that. Um, you know, it's, it's, I remember thinking that before I was able to ever to compete on the ATV at a pro level, like I would just push as hard as I can. I'm like, I don't know if this is like enough or if this is, um, if this is what, you know, the pros are feeling, right. It's like, um, 
yeah, you just kind of question yourself. But I think if, if you can frame it as like, no, this is a normal part of the process, um, that can really change how you actually continue to stay in that stay at that intensity. So next, I want to get into some strength topics. Uh, first, mm-hmm. super open-ended. Can you tell me like your overall thoughts on strength training for, for cross-country mountain bikers? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I've I've had a lot of experience with. Just with the ATV racing, it was always part of how I trained. Even when I was, like, when I first started training, you know, more focused when I was 15 years old. Uh, and I started in the gym. Um, and I was always doing like, uh, you know, cardio work. I did a lot of like the rowing, uh, concept two rowing and running, cycling, all that stuff. But the gym work was always there. Yeah, it's definitely something that I needed the muscle mass. Like I was kind of really a tiny kid at 15 trying to race ATVs. Um, it was really hard for me to put on muscle mass, but it was always something I stuck to. Um, and over the years, like it was a necessary part um, for racing ATVs. Like you couldn't get away with really just riding there's few riders that do but yeah definitely just to to increase overall strength and balance everything out um is really important so what are you doing for like a base part of the year for for strength training you know last year kind of when i was in base work it was more just kind of like general strength training you know two to three times a week and then um it was more of like a hypertrophy kind of uh phase where like you're in that 10 to 12 rep range um and you're not really getting a full kind of max strength stimulus or endurance stimulus it's more of just that middle ground so yeah as you approach like your your main event that's when strength uh, is going to like become more and more specific so you kind of go from like the more basic hypertrophy just means like muscle growth uh that's like the phase where you're trying to you know add a little bit of muscle which is actually something for me like i don't really need that much more muscle for cycling that's something you know, I realized transitioning out of ATVs, like I do have an established muscle mass that's there from strength training. Um, and it's more about like the max strength that you get, like from uh, the lower rep ranges can be really helpful as well. That's more like the five reps and below where you're lifting really heavy, you know, not doing that many reps. And that's actually, you're not promoting necessarily muscle growth in those lower rep ranges. It's more about like, uh, stimulating the nervous system to really recruit all the fibers you currently have um, and turn all those fibers on, build those kind of neural pathways and um, also like stimulate actual contractile protein growth. Like, uh, you know, general hypertrophy, there's two parts of the muscle that can grow. Like you have like the sarcoplasm, which is uh, outside of the contractile proteins of the muscle. And then you actually have like adding actual fibers of contractile units. And that's what, as an endurance athlete, that's what you want is more contractile units, or at least the nervous system being able to recruit what you have, being able to recruit more of those fibers. That's going to allow you to increase strength and be more powerful without adding unwanted mass. So there, there is a little bit of nuance of strength training um, that I've had to learn over the years. That makes a lot of sense. What do you do during race season for, for strength? Do you like dial it back a lot? Do you, are you keeping it going? Are you not going to the gym at all? Like what are you doing for during race season? Yeah. So it depends on when my highest priority event is. Um, so you kind of start with the more basic stuff, work into a hypertrophy phase and then like a max strength phase. And that's when you're doing that more, uh, low rep, but high, high weight kind of strength training. And that's usually when your intensity of your actual on the bike training is going up as well. Um, So 
after that though, once you get closer to uh, your your priority event is when strength training, you kind of taper that off. And that's when you're on the bike training is at its most intense. So you kind of go into like a maintenance phase where you're in the gym maybe once or twice a week, um, just keeping up on just general strength and staying balanced. Um, and then the reason you kind of strip away the strength training is to put more stress on your on the bike training. Um, so if you're trying to do both, um, the adaptations you're going to get from on the bike training are a little less opposed to just doing on the bike training. So that's why like, yeah, before an A event, definitely just maintenance phase in the gym and then really crushing the bike. So did you try to stay in the gym the entire season? Like, were you trying to get at least one day a week? At least one. Yeah, for sure. What sorts of core exercises are some of your favorites to do? Um, I like anything with a twist so like a russian twist or anything like that um crunches are good planks obviously that's like the most basic yeah no there, there's a bunch of stuff i like to keep variety with the core work like always kind of getting a different stimulus too what are your thoughts on variety in the gym uh, you just mentioned it for core are you doing like variety for the the other lifts as well for the bigger lifts or are you keeping it super simple and just kind of keeping it with the main like squat deadlift that sort of thing yeah, it's, it's pretty basic overall. Like it does change. Um, and I do have my coach Neil helping me with that, like with an appropriate strength training program. So that's one thing I found to be really important with strength training is to not be afraid to do the same workouts kind of week in and week out. Cause that's how you're going to apply some overload, like just upping the weight a little bit, um, or maybe the reps change and you can, and you can add weight that way too. Um, so that's, that's the benefit of doing the same stuff. But of course, uh, eventually changing some of those lifts or just just even the, in the slightest way um, to, to add some variety and just kind of change the stimulus a little bit. Great. Next, I want to jump into some nutrition subjects here. I want to hear about like what you do for on the bike nutrition. And I guess I'd like to break it up into a couple areas like uh, endurance ride, an intensity session for like an interval day, and then mm -hmm. like a race day. Like what, what are you doing for on the bike nutrition? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can start with on the bike. That's that's kind of the easiest. Yeah, it does it does depend on, like you said, the intensity and whether or not it's an endurance day. Um, duration is obviously going to play a major role. Uh, but it's something I've had to really create a system for this year to really improve just my overall well-being and performance on the bike. So um, it's something I wasn't taking as seriously before and definitely contributed to a lot of my success this year. And... Yeah, I'll, I'll start off by saying like endurance rides, that's kind of like your easy, moderate pace. Um, you know, even though you're in like an aerobic zone, you still are burning a decent percentage of carbohydrate as a fuel. So um, really what you're doing is you're just trying to spare that carbohydrate by uh, bringing in, you know, a sports drink or a gel or a bar or whatever you're using to bring in that that glucose. But um, the reason I say on the bike is the easiest because your your primary focus is carbohydrate. Like that's it. Um, you know, you don't want to bring anything else in that's consists fat or protein or fiber. Like, um, you don't want anything that's going to like increase digestion a lot. Cause that's going to pull blood into your GI tract and away from working muscles. And, um, yeah, you're, you're more in a sympathetic state while training. So you want to keep it that way. And, and yeah, the, the simple sugars of a sports drink or a gel, they're very easily like passed through the stomach and right into the small intestine, right into the bloodstream. Um, so that's why they work um, to keep blood glucose levels where they need to be while you're training. So like for an endurance ride, uh, you know, if it's just an hour, like you don't really need much of anything, especially if it's like right after 
breakfast or whatever, like you're, you're going to be fine at just an hour easy. Um, but anything over an hour, like at least start at 30 grams an hour. And then, um, once you get into like the two hour mark, now you're like, I would definitely be around 60 grams an hour for a two hour ride, anything over two hours. Um, you know, I'll push up to like 70. Um, and, and I've heard of people going more and I think you can. Um, but I find like, um, 60 is kind of like the minimum for a two and a half plus hour ride. So yeah, I mean, I guess to keep it simple, like 60 grams for a two hour ride or above or more. And then like for an intensity session, I'm focused on getting the carbohydrates in, in the warm up. So it, it's harder to actually get them in like while you're doing intervals or, or in the rest sets. Um, so if I want to do, you know, an hour and a half workout, I, I, I don't kind of follow the endurance guidelines of fueling. Like I'm actually going to push it up to 60 grams an hour for a high intensity session or something like that. Like try to get more fuel on board and, um, just kind of also go by feel like having more than, than you think you might need is always, is always a good idea. Just it's there if you need it, but yeah, getting it in kind of on the warm up before the intervals start and then having just that carbohydrate availability for when you start your, start your intervals. And then it's also, I find it good to like, while you're resting between intervals to just sip a little bit. Um, even if you're not like overly thirsty or anything, you're still kind of giving yourself some carbohydrates, uh, in, in, in that rest period. Um, and, and that'll pay off at the end of those intervals. That's the biggest thing, um, is anytime you can kind of teach and tell the body that carbohydrates available, um, that'll help you expend some more energy when it counts. Uh, how about race day? Like, what are you doing before a race? Are you taking any on any carbs during a race? Like, what are you doing there? Yeah, for yeah, sure. sure. Um, I, and sometimes I'll take like during my 30 minute warm up, I'll take like uh, 30 grams of carbs through a sports drink or something like that. And that's also helping like hydration status as well. I always try to not drink too close to the race, like definitely go to the bathroom. You don't want to have to have the need to go to the bathroom during a race, that's not a good place to be. Um, so I definitely make a point to do that. Um, and, and another way to do it without fluids would be just with a gel. Um, then you don't risk having to go to the bathroom before a race. The races are where actually I push the carbohydrate intake the most, which I, which you can practice in training, but um, the races are the most intense. I'm most reliant on carbohydrates in races. Just I'm always pushing that VO2 or, you know, just super high intensity glycolytic you know, those efforts, it's just what they are. So any kind of glucose sparing or glycogen sparing I can do in a race, the better. And, and I try to push it up to like a hundred grams an hour for an, for an XCO race for sure. Um, and then same for the endurance races, hundred grams an hour, at least, and trying to get that in early, like the earlier, the better, you know, you're, you're able to absorb it a little bit better earlier on, uh, for the high intensity stuff. Um, because, you know, kind of your, your gut is a little less absorptive when you are in high intensity, which I think is where they, you know, will recommend to train your gut in, in training to tolerate that amount. Yeah. Races is where I definitely push the most. How are you getting those carbs uh, into your body on a race? Like through a drink mix or what are you doing there? Yeah, largely through the drink mix. And then I'll, I'll throw in gels too. Um, I don't do any solid foods, like maybe on training rides for sure. Sometimes that's what you prefer, but yeah, during a race, definitely just liquids and, and gels. I remember you doing a sweat test back in the day. Are, what are your thoughts on like mm -hmm. hydration and electrolytes? Like, do you have any, uh, recommendations there for, for athletes? Yeah. Yeah. Sweat, sweat testing is pretty easy to do, you know, just in terms of your actual sweat rate, just, you know, weighing yourself before training 
weighing your bottles, you know, coming back from that session, preferably not having gone to the bathroom and then re-weighing yourself at the end um, after toweling off of all the sweat and everything without the weight of your clothes uh, for before and after and then uh, weighing your bottles after to measure, okay, what did I lose body weight wise? And then what did I drink? Um, and that's kind of your total loss plus what you put back in. Um, and you can figure out uh, how much fluid you lost uh, during that session and figure out a sweat rate in liters per hour. So, and, and generally the weight that you lose uh, during a session is, is just water weight. So that's why it's largely estimating your fluid loss uh, for that given workout. So it gives you an idea though of, you know, everybody's a little bit unique in that way and it is environment dependent on, you know, like weather, humidity, obviously, um, and intensity of the session, duration of the session can all play a role. Uh, but you can get a good ballpark of like how much fluid you actually lose um, for any given hour. Um, so like for me, I'm anywhere from like 1.2 to 1.4 liters an hour. Um, so with that, I understand that, um, you know, in a two hour workout, I'm going to lose you know, maybe 2.4 to 2.8 liters of fluid. And that kind of really puts it into perspective of just how much you're going to lose and how much you should be bringing in. And, and, the, and the biggest thing I've actually benefited from doing that sweat testing and understanding those numbers is actually like, okay, how much do I need to bring in? Because uh, you're actually, during a training session, you don't want to like replace more than that. You don't want to be gaining weight in fluid during a session. Um, you know, that could put you at risk of hyponatremia, which is basically like low blood sodium. Um, and, and you don't want that. So what it helps you do though, is understand how much am I going to lose and how much should I replace that with to stay within like a 3% body weight loss? Cause like the performance decrements associated with dehydration start to occur at about that two to 3% body weight, uh, loss, um, for sure. Great. Yeah. I love that. Can you share anything about your daily routine that, that helps you as an athlete? Um, yeah, I mean, I think a big one is reading. Like it's something I've, uh, really made it a point to like educate myself, um, and continue to do that, um, as I train and, and, and try to, you know, be a little bit smarter in my approach to everything. So usually, you know, when I wake up, like I do, I do take my morning metrics and, and, uh, stuff like that. Like that's always like my routine. Um, and then, uh, first thing I do is usually read before breakfast. Um, so, you know, usually that's an hour if I'm up at six, you know, read till seven. Um, and again, like I'm taking notes when I read, it's just something that helps me absorb information. Yeah. That's, that's something I've, I found a lot of benefit to. And then my mornings are when I do my training. So, um, yeah, it consumes a lot of my time, uh, basically until lunch. So, you know, getting ready for, for rides, getting the nutrition prepped, uh, getting breakfast done and then. Yeah, just executing the session well too. Love that. What are you trying to improve the most for for next season? Yeah, I think it. I think it is the mindset. Um, you know, physically, I I can push myself pretty hard, but I think it is um, really the mind, the 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 mental side that is the biggest separator, um, especially in the at the pro level. You know, I would say even my first race in the pro field at Marathon Nationals, like you know, I crashed in the first lap, and that was largely from just mentally not being present. Like I was physically fine. I was ready for that race. Um, I was confident in that. And I found myself like pretty deep in the pack right off the start. And I just got thinking like in my head too far ahead of myself. I was looking ahead. I'm like, man, I have all these guys to pass if I want to be where my goals are. And as soon as I started to think about that, I was on the ground. So, um, and that's kind of where that doubt comes in. It's like, oh, can I even come back? And is it over? 
did I screw this race up this 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 fast and um, you know just slowly got myself back to the front and uh, even being at the front I got all the way back up to second place and I stayed there for like over an hour um, and kind of like in those final deciding moments when when people were going to make moves uh, to secure those podium spots like I just mentally wasn't ready for that I hadn't maybe visualized it beforehand you know, just because I wasn't sure, uh, you know, where I would stack up against other pro cyclists. And, and that that's just kind of my message. With that is like, it really was the mental side holding me back, not, not the physical um, or nutritional or anything like that. Um, so really just like cultivating that belief and confidence and being able to visualize it uh, beforehand to see it through, you know, it's a big one. Amazing. Well, I really look forward to uh, watching your journey next season. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff that's going to happen. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can listeners find you online? Yeah, mainly on Instagram. That's where I share my kind of race updates, training, you know, stuff like that. Um, I'm going to try and do a little bit better with social media stuff moving forward and try to put a little bit more out there of, of what I get up to with this stuff. I think it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So um, Instagram's the main one. I do post my training to Strava. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was great chatting with you. And yeah, thanks for all your insightful um, knowledge that you offered to the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was fun talking about it.